0: Section 90 of the Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds. Section ninety in the evening the butler came to me and gave me the addresses of several families in whose service pages were wanted you will have to apply to the butlers at those houses he said and therefore you can refer them to me i will endeavor to make it all right for you as i should be sorry to see a promising young lad ruin for want of a character i thanked him very much pretending to see nothing but pure friendship in his conduct although i was quite enough experienced in the ways of the world to understand that mrs beaumont herself had instigated this lenient treatment as a means of sealing my lips i ventured to ask him about miss Stacy, and he at once told me that she had left the house at a very early hour in the morning i longed to inquire if he knew where she was gone but dared not on the following day i called at the various addresses which the butler had given me and was not considered suitable at any at one i was thought too young at another too old here i was too short there i was too tall in fact the objections were trivial but fatal i was returning to my lodging along great russell street bloomsbury when i saw in a shop window a notice that a livery boy was wanted and that applications were to be made within i entered the shop and received the address of a house in the same street there i went and was shown into a small parlour where i was kept waiting for nearly a quarter of an hour at last a gentleman and lady an elderly couple entered the room and i was immediately subjected to no end of questions all of which i answered in the most satisfactory manner because i did not hesitate to say yes when an affirmation was required and no when a negative was necessary at last the gentleman said to the lady well my love what do you think what do you think my dear asked the lady i think my dear began the gentleman so do i mr turner exclaimed the lady without waiting to hear what her husband did think it however appeared that they perfectly well understood each other for the lady turning towards me said we will give you a trial if the butler at your last place speaks as well of you as you assure us he will but you will have to be very active here for i must tell you that this is a boarding-house a boarding-house of the highest respectability interrupted the gentleman looking very solemn indeed as if he was afraid that i was going to say i didn't believe him and there are many ladies and gentlemen to wait upon continued mrs turner but we shall see i then withdrew mr turner went about my character in the evening and found everything satisfactory and next day i entered my new place wondering what adventures would befall me here this boarding-house proved to be the hardest place i ever was in i had to get up at five in the morning to clean six pairs of boots and ten pairs of ladies shoes if they did not shine well i was blown up on all sides and if i did make them shine well mrs turner blew me up for wasting the blacking then i had to beeswax heaven knows how many chairs and tables and to clean the windows from top to bottom at least twice a week in the middle of my work i was constantly interrupted by knocks at the door or errands to run upon then at meal-time something was always wanting something had always been forgotten the cleaning of knives and plated forks and spoons would have alone been a good four hours work for a strong man if i did them properly and devoted time to them i was scolded for being slow and lazy and if i knocked them off in a hurry they were sure to be found fault with sometimes the bells of half a dozen rooms would ring in the morning when the boarders were getting up all at the same instant and if i was long in taking up any particular gentleman's hot water to shave or any lady's shoes i was certain to hear of it when mrs turner came down into the kitchen in fact it was a hard life and an unthankful office for when i did my best i could not give satisfaction and yet the cook and housemaid the only servants kept besides myself were candid enough to declare that i was the best lad that had ever been in the house during their time there was one elderly lady a miss Marigold, who seemed to have taken a particular hatred for me and only because when one day she began to caress me in the same way that mrs beaumont and miss Stacy had done i laughed in her face and told her to keep her wrinkled old hands to herself from that minute she grew desperately malignant against me and was always finding fault i determined to have my revenge and waited patiently for the opportunity that occasion came at last one evening miss marigold retired earlier to bed than usual and mrs turner rang for me in the parlour i went up and found my mistress alone john she said go directly with this box pointing to a round pasteboard one on the table to the hairdresser's and tell him that you will call for it at eight precisely to-morrow morning then in the morning when you come back with it send it up by the housemaid to miss marigold's room i took the box which was tied round with string and was particularly light it immediately struck me that it must be miss marigold's wig for i was convinced she wore one accordingly as i went along the street i stepped up an alley and by the light coming from the window of a house unfastened the strings to peep inside sure enough it was miss marigold's wig it immediately struck me that her going to bed earlier than usual was only an excuse to be able to send her wig in time for the hairdresser to do it up that night and this circumstance joined to the fact that she wanted it the very next morning convinced me that miss marigold had but one wig belonging to her i therefore resolved that some accident should occur to the wig before it went back to her but in the meantime i took it to the hairdresser he seemed to understand what it was for without opening the box the strings of which i had carefully refastened he promised me that i should have the article when i came back in the morning shortly before eight i must now inform you that there was an elderly gentleman at the boarding-house whose name was prosser captain prosser he was called and a jovial kind of old bird he was too he was amazingly fond of breaking out now and then staying away all night and coming home between six and seven in the morning so precious drunk that he could not see a hole through a ladder but he was always sensible enough to know that he must not make a noise and when i let him in on these occasions he would put his forefinger by the side of his nose in such a comical fashion as much as to say don't let anybody know it that i could scarcely keep from laughing well on this very night when the affair of the wig occurred the captain went out for a spree and it happened that he came home rather later than usual the next morning i had just returned with the wig box and had it still in my hand when the captain's low sneaking knock at the door summoned me to open it he came in worse than i had ever seen him before he could scarcely keep upon his legs and his head rolled about on his shoulders just as if he had no bones in his neck at all his hat too was smashed completely in and his coat was slit completely up the back to the very collar such a comical figure i never saw in my life he staggered into the hall seeming quite to forget where he was or what he wanted there a thought struck me and i resolved to put it into execution He was so uncommonly drunk and yet so quiet and tractable that i saw i could do with him just as i liked so i led him into the parlour where the long table was laid for breakfast but no one had come down yet i seated him on the sofa in such a way that he could not fall off and in a few moments he was in a sound sleep i removed his hat took the wig from the box and fixed it all awry upon his head purposely tumbling all the curls so as to make it appear as if he had thus adorned himself with his own hand i then stole away from the room and having suffered about ten minutes to elapse so as to bring the time nearer to breakfast before the exposure should take place i went into the kitchen to tell the housemaid that there was a box in the parlour which she must presently take up to miss marigold but she not knowing what the box might contain waited a few minutes more to finish something that she was about and i did not choose to hurry her at last miss marigold's bell rang and i laughed in my sleep to think that the poor lady would vainly wait for her wig the housemaid hastened to answer the summons and I followed her as far as the parlour under pretence of taking up some plates for the breakfast-table. But just before we reached that room, seven or eight of the boarders, ladies and gentlemen alike, came pouring downstairs to breakfast. And the moment they entered the parlour, such screams of amazement burst from the women and such roars of laughter from the men the housemaid hurried into the room and i behind her and almost immediately afterwards in came mr and mrs turner and all the rest of the boarders except poor miss Marigold. and what a sight burst upon their view the screams and the roars of laughter had awoke captain prosser and he was sitting propping himself up in the corner of the sofa and looking stupidly about him as if quite unconscious of where he was and certainly ignorant of the reason which drew all eyes upon him such a comical spectacle as he was with the wig perched all crooked upon his head at length the ladies began to give vent to their indignant feelings shameful said one well i never cried another and this in a respectable boarding-house exclaimed a third it all comes of having such a monster as the captain in the place observed a fourth but whose wig is it cried one of the gentlemen a humorous fellow in his way and approaching the leather box he took it up miss marigold at length he exclaimed his eyes catching some writing in the inside mrs turner who had suspected the ownership of the wig declared that she should go into hysterics but her husband begged her not to do anything of the kind and so she followed his advice of course no suspicion fell upon me when questioned i said that i had brought home the box without knowing its contents that i had put it on the sofa and that before i had gone downstairs to tell the housemaid to take it up to miss marigold i had opened the front door to let in the captain the thing was therefore clear the captain had come in in a state for which he ought to be ashamed of himself and nothing would please him but he must decorate himself with poor miss marigold's wig such was the explanation agreed upon by all present and while two or three of the gentlemen conveyed the captain up to his own room the wig having been previously removed from his head mrs turner went up to break the fatal news to miss marigold to make an end of this part of my story i need only say that miss marigold left the house on the sly the moment her wig was done up again by the hairdresser and mrs turner easily persuaded the ladies to forgive the captain on condition that he would stand a dozen of wine which he did several months passed away after this incident without any adventure worth relating it was a most unpleasant place but there was amusement in it and moreover there was a certain love affair in progress in which i felt interested and the end of which i was determined to wait and see not that i was an actor in it at all but only a go-between the fact was that amongst the boarders there was a widow lady of about seven or eight-and-twenty a very pretty woman whose name was percy there was also a young gentleman of very effeminate appearance but possessing a handsome or rather a beautiful countenance and a very slight figure he was also short A complete doll of a man for he was within four years as old as the widow his name was hulse this couple fell in love with each other or rather i think the love was all on the side of the young gentleman who possessed some little property and better prospects whereas the widow was notorious as a husband-hunter ever since she had been in the boarding-house and was moreover very poor she was however sweetly pretty and she had such wicked eyes that it gave me strange sensations to meet her looks it was in this way that i came to know of the love-matter existing between mr Halse and mrs percy about the time when the adventure of the wig took place mr Halse one evening asked me to give a letter privately to the widow lady and he slipped a half-crown a into my hands you may have already seen that i possessed no small degree of curiosity and i longed to know what that letter could possibly contain i took it up into my own room with me and tried to catch a glimpse at the writing inside but it was so carefully folded that i could not at last to my joy i perceived that the wax was stamped with a seal which was invariably left lying in the inkstand drawer in the parlor for the general use of the boarders i therefore hesitated no longer to open the letter breaking the wax as carefully as possible the letter was a declaration of love the writer stating that he had not courage to make the avowal in words and he implored a written answer observing that the lad john was to be trusted as he seemed a quiet steady youth i was much amused by the letter and early next morning i resealed it by means of the stamp in the inkstand drawer then watching the opportunity when mrs percy descended to breakfast i gave it to her as she was coming downstairs in the evening she put into my hands an answer accompanied by a shilling for myself and as she smiled significantly and showed her pretty white teeth i felt that i could do anything to obtain a kiss from that sweet mouth fortunately this letter was also fastened with the house seal and i was therefore able to read its contents it thanked mr hulse for the favourable opinion he had entertained of her and stated that she felt she could love him but that she required a more explicit avowal of his intentions this letter i resealed and gave to the young gentleman a reply was ready in the evening and another half-crown was slipped into my hand this letter I likewise read and found that mr hulse professed the most honourable intentions but begged that their engagement should the correspondence have that result might be kept a secret as he had an uncle from whom he had considerable expectations to consult but who was at present abroad and would not be in england again for several months the lady's answer which also passed through my hands was quite satisfactory and in the course of a few days i saw that the tender pair exchanged significant looks when they thought themselves unperceived and that mr hulse was gradually losing much of his bashfulness nevertheless frequent notes passed between them and several presents were made to the lady by the young gentleman all of which went through my hands and were duly inspected by me it may seem strange that two people living in the same house should require the aid of a go-between but such was the fact for i believe mr halst to have been one of the very sentimental and romantic class of lovers who are fond of mystery and of tender correspondence this absurd courtship went on for several months and the lovers little suspected that i was as well acquainted with its progress as themselves at length i perceived by one of mr hulse's letters that his uncle was expected home in a few days and he spoke of the necessity which would compel him to go on a visit to the old gentleman but also expressed his hopes that the result would be according to the wishes of the lady and himself and in less than a week he did depart on the proposed visit having previously exchanged most tender and affectionate letters with the widow the very next morning a new boarder arrived a gentleman who in every respect was quite different from mr hulse he was tall largely made and wore a great deal of hair about his face without being handsome he was a very fine man and he talked away at a rapid rate getting on good terms with all the other boarders by the time breakfast was over and very intimate indeed before the cloth was removed after dinner he sat next to the widow to whom he paid great attention and she appeared very well satisfied with his civilities in fact in one single day he made more progress in thrusting himself into the good graces of mrs percy than mr hulse had done in a week the name which the gentleman bore at the house was jamison but i did not believe it to be his right one because his hat had the initials of f s in it the same letters were marked as i heard from the housemaid on all his linen and they were also described by means of brass nails on the lid of his trunk however a few days passed and i saw that mr jameson and mrs percy were becoming more and more intimate they sat together at meals they lounged together on the sofa in the drawing-room and as i watched them narrowly i saw that they exchanged glances which convinced me that mr hulse had been forgotten by the faithless lady somehow or another i took an immediate hatred to mr jameson the moment he set foot in the house and this feeling was increased by his harsh and commanding ways towards me i was moreover sorry for mr hulse who had been kind and generous in his behaviour to me and i longed to do jameson some evil turn the opportunity arrived sooner than i expected for one morning about a fortnight after he had arrived at the establishment i was accosted in the street when going on an errand by an ill-looking fellow who was loitering about and who said he wanted to speak to me particularly i asked him his business but he would not exactly explain it he however said he was very anxious to learn some tidings of a certain gentleman and that he had received a hint of the person alluded to being at a boarding-house in great russell street under a feigned name it instantly struck me that the gentleman thus inquired about was Jameson, and i was moreover convinced by the appearance of the inquirer that he had no good intentions towards the individual whom he was seeking i therefore readily gave such information as convinced the man that mr jameson was the person he was looking for and i then learnt to my astonishment that this mr jameson's real name was frederick shaw i now showed myself so much interested in the affair and expressed myself in so hostile a way relative to mr frederick shaw that the man at last admitted to me that he was a sheriff's officer's follower and had a writ against the man who i was convinced by all i now heard was the same that had treated my deceased parents in so scandalous a manner we did not part before we came to an understanding together and i returned to the boarding-house overjoyed to think that the moment of vengeance was not very far distant the dinner hour was five o'clock and on the day of which i am speaking there was company present besides the boarders mr jamison as usual sat next to mrs percy and his attentions were of the most amiable description had mr hulse returned at the moment he would not have been very well pleased at the way in which she received them but a storm was brewing over the head of the successful rival and i was longing for it to burst towards the close of the meal jamison asked me for a glass of porter i pretended not to hear him and waited on some one else he called me again and when i at length drew near his chair to serve him he said in a harsh voice you're very neglectful john and i wonder how mrs turner can keep such a stupid boy in the house then why don't you ask her to discharge me mr shaw i said you should have seen how he turned first as white as a sheet and then as red as scarlet mr jameson you mean john exclaimed mr turner call gentlemen by their proper names and don't be rude sir or you shall leave the house directly i did call this gentleman by his proper name sir i answered and that name is shaw the poor boy is labouring under a mistake said shaw dreadfully confused and stammering as he spoke but don't be harsh with him he did not intend any harm i do not want you to speak in favour of me sir i exclaimed and perhaps you'll guess why when you know that my name is jeffreys the villain's countenance now showed the most awful dismay and the scene produced great excitement amongst all present but at that moment a knock at the front door was heard and i ran to answer it well knowing who was there how my heart beat with joy when i admitted the officer and his follower the man i had seen in the morning into the house and without caring how my master and mistress might take it on my part i threw open the dining-room door led the officers in and pointing to the person they wanted said this is mr frederick shaw the officers instantly arrested him and a scene of extraordinary confusion followed mrs turner fainted in right earnest and while several of the ladies flocked round her others began tittering and whispering and mr turner requested mr shaw to pay his bill before he went to prison but the conduct of mrs percy was the most extraordinary part of the whole performance it is however most probable that she acted in the way she did to conceal her vexation and annoyance for bursting out into a loud laugh and casting a look of contempt at the man with whom she was on such good terms a few minutes before she expressed her surprise that fellows of his stamp should dare to force their way into genteel society to be brief mr turner could not get the amount of his claim on shaw whose trunks he accordingly detained and the scoundrel was conveyed away by the officers i followed the party to the street door and took good care to let shaw know that it was i who had betrayed him the exposure of this person caused such a sensation in the house that my share in it created a feeling of curiosity and when questioned by mr turner before all the company i explained how he had treated my parents so that i was rather praised than blamed for what i had done but mrs percy applauded me the most and spoke warmly in my favour at which i was very much pleased two or three days after this occurrence mr hulse returned but only for a few hours and during that time he was alone with mrs percy in the parlour the nature of their interview was soon known throughout the house for it appeared that the news he had brought from his uncle were favourable and their engagement was now no longer kept secret it was fortunate for the widow that he did not remain in the boarding-house until their marriage for if he had some kind friend would have been sure to tell him of the flirtation that had gone on between herself and the scoundrel shaw as it was everything turned out well mr Halse took and furnished a nice house in bloomsbury square and in a few weeks he and mrs percy were married my former services were not forgotten by either but on the contrary were rewarded on the wedding-day by a guinea from the gentleman and half that sum from the lady i had thus seen the end of this very extraordinary courtship and being thoroughly tired of my place began to look out for another i accordingly made the usual inquiries and heard of several vacancies my very first application was successful and i was engaged by the honourable mr Ilverton, mr turner giving me a good character and expressing no dissatisfaction at my desire to better myself the honourable mr ilverton resided in st james's square he was a gentleman of about forty years of age and was on the point of marriage with a lady much younger than himself and who was one of the numerous daughters of the marquis of mount carleton but as mr ilverton was very rich and the marquis was but a poor peer the match was considered a very desirable one by the friends of lady hortensia stanhope i heard my fellow-servants in my new place say that she was a very beautiful creature and i longed to see her but six weeks were yet to elapse before the celebration of the marriage the place was a very nice one and the establishment was on a large scale there were six female servants and four men besides the butler and coachman two of the footmen were constantly on duty in the hall that is they had nothing to do for the four hours that their turn lasted but to look out of the hall windows and attend the front door when their four hours expired the other two took their place for a like interval there was a great deal of aristocratic feeling amongst these servants the butler had his room and the housekeeper had her room and they took their meals apart from the rest the other servants were obliged to say sir to the butler and ma'am to the housekeeper the cook and the two housemaids were likewise above the kitchen-maids who said miss when addressing either one of them the footmen also considered themselves above the coachman but they allowed the latter to take his meals at their table as for myself i was looked upon as a mere child by the men and probably by the women too for they were very much addicted to fondling me when i happened to be alone with either one of them well the six weeks passed away and the day came on which mr ilverton was to be married the ceremony was performed at st george's hanover square and the happy couple as the newspapers always call new married people started off for mr ilverton's country seat a fortnight elapsed and then came the day when the town mansion was to receive its new mistress whom i had not yet seen i remember the profound curiosity which i felt on that occasion my fellow-servants who had frequently beheld her having spoken so high of her beauty it was about six o'clock in the evening when they were expected to arrive dinner having been provided for seven i stationed myself in the hall to obtain as early a view as possible of lady hortensia ilverton and shortly after six the carriage drove up to the door from the hall window i saw her ladyship alight but she had a veil over her face i was however enabled to admire the beauty of her figure which was very finely proportioned and i thought as she stepped from the vehicle that i had never before seen such a charming foot and ankle the loveliness of her form rendered me the more anxious to behold her face and this curiosity on my part was soon gratified for on entering the hall the lady threw back her veil but no words can explain the full extent of my astonishment when i beheld the very same charming creature of whom i had once before caught a hasty glimpse at the doctor's house in brook street a faint exclamation of surprise escaped my lips no one however heard it and i instantly mastered my feelings lady hortensia passed through the hall leaning on her husband's arm without looking either to the right or to the left and as she did not therefore observe me i had no opportunity of knowing whether she would remember me or not it was a part of my duty to help to wait a table and i longed for the dinner hour to arrive to clear up that point at length my doubts were set at rest dinner was served up the lady saw me and i felt convinced that she had completely forgotten my face i was not however quite a year older than when i saw her at the doctor's and therefore not much changed nevertheless she evidently did not know me again i really felt relieved on her account for she was such a beautiful creature and seemed so amiable that i should have been sorry for her to have experienced any annoyance or vexation on my account during the whole of dinner i took my station near her chair and watched her attentively and though she conversed pleasantly enough with her husband when he started a subject or addressed himself to her yet it struck me that she was not altogether happy for she seldom commenced a topic of her own accord but seemed rather to love silence and i now and then fancied that she sighed in a subdued manner i don't know when i ever felt a deeper interest in any one than i did in this lady and it seemed to me as if i could do anything to serve her but i am afraid that i am tiring you with this long story and jeffreys abruptly broke off not at all old fellow exclaimed tim the snammer it's only just struck twelve by st george's and we don't mean to separate yet a while no not quite yet i should hope observed josh Pedler. besides i'm getting deucedly interested in that lady hortensia of yours i all along expected that the beautiful young creature at the doctor's would turn up again somehow or another to be sure said old death it wouldn't be a regular romance if she didn't it's all as true as gospel cried jeffreys do you think i could invent such a pack of curious adventures if you don't believe what i've told you already i'm sure you won't believe what there is to come and so i'd better hold my tongue now don't be angry my dear boy said old death i was but joking i like your story amazingly so pray finish it we're in no hurry and there's plenty of drink Jeffreys accordingly complied with the solicitations of his comrades and proceeded uninterruptedly to the end of his narrative end of section ninety